Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning for those of you who are here watching live. Sorry we're late. We've had some technical difficulties. Well, first, let me explain the background. Um, I was traveling in Colombia and I got stranded. <laughs> here in the, now, uh, the Genesis building, uh, we could not get to it. There is a police investigation in process and they've closed off Mountain to Mulberry. Uh, apparently there was a shooting. We don't know where or when, but we would not be able to get into the building. And so um, we had to do this instead. I'm at Gil and Mary's house, and that's why you see a different background. Um, but we are here, uh, live as we can be. Sorry for being a few minutes late. Uh, I'm glad you guys can join us. Um, yeah, I'll, I don't know what other announcements to make right now. Just kind of frazzled getting things started. You should see the get up that we got going on here. Put something together. But anyway, here we are. And so we're going to go ahead and do this live next week. We should be able to be back into the building. Provided um, there's no more shootings. Um, then we'll be okay. But anyway, we're going to be continuing with Genesis. Uh, this is part six in our series, going from there. Um, and remember that Genesis was not written with chapters. The breaks that the writers made were basically the genealogies that brought about different sections. And, and so today um, we are looking at chapters 10 and 11, and there's actually a number of sections that take place in this. And just in going back a little bit in review, remember that the story that's being told is the story of Israel. And last week when we talked about the flood and all the things that happened, it really wasn't to focus so much on what happened, but as to why it happened and Israel's explanation. And in that explanation, we've got a little bit more insight into the God of Israel and how that God is different than the gods of Babylon. Uh, definitely going to be a focus today. And so we see that there is an intention in the writing to try and portray an understanding of their identity and convey that to us. And it's important that we have that in mind as we go through so that we don't get confused with some of the things that are going to be said. In chapter 10, we have the fourth of the 10 list of names. We start with that. And 
if you're like me, you, you just kind of say, okay, a bunch of names, where do I go to be done with the names? I, I want to skip these because I can't pronounce most of them. But they were important to these people. And here we have the account of Noah's three sons. The firstborn is his son, Japheth. And he has basically, from his sons, 14 nations uh, descend who occupy now what are parts of Turkey and Greece and along with areas that are further north. And, and in verse 5 of chapter 10, we read, These are the maritime people spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. And I highlight that because that's going to be important when we get into the next chapter. And then next we have Ham. Ham has 30 descendants that are mentioned. And remember, Noah cursed Ham's son, Canaan, and his descendants for what his father did. At that time, uh, Ham went and saw Noah was passed out drunk and he was naked. And then Ham went and told his brothers. He was basically shameless about it. And his brothers went in and covered their father. And then when Noah woke up and saw or understood what happened, he cursed Ham's descendants, which are that of Canaan. And, and we see in verses 6 through 10 of chapter 10, those descendants, and it's interesting because those descendants include the Canaanites, the Egyptians, the Philistines, uh, the Assyrians, and the Babylonians. Sound familiar? Those are all the people who Israel had problems with, right? And so we see that this curse comes upon all these people who are basically on the bad list. And so it's important to understand that this is intentional. This is helping them understand their and painting this group of people in this light, descending from home because of what had happened. And those names stand out because they're going to be part of the future story of Israel. And they're being talked about here as the writers are writing backwards, looking at these events and giving us understanding. In verse 20 of chapter 10, with Ham's descendants, it concludes, these are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages in their territory and nations. And then finally, we get to Shem and his family that are listed. And Shem is where the word Semitic comes from, where we get the word Semitic, which is synonymous with Jewish. And from his line, we will get to Abraham. And that's the point of all these names. It's talking about the sons of Noah, but it is taking us to the father of Israel, Abraham. And when we get there in verse 31, it says, These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. Then we get to chapter 11. And we see another list of names, which again is like another chapter break, so to speak. Uh, and the story continues to push forward with this little interruption. In chapter 11, start with me in verse 1. We're going to read this nine-verse little story that I think most of us are familiar with. It says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, 
Let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, they, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. Now, we just read in three different places in chapter 10 that I highlighted that basically these people groups had their own language in their own territories. And yet here we read the whole world had one language. What gives? We're only in chapter 11 and we keep seeing these kinds of things come up. And the reason that it, it look, it's looked at as, oh, this is a contradiction is because of, again, how we're looking at it. If we're trying to look at this through our modern understanding of how things are written that has to be chronological and, and all these things, then we have problems in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 with the two different creation stories because we're trying to make it one story that is fluid, but we're hearing these writers talk about things in different ways. We have problems with Cain, who is only the, the third person left on the earth if he killed his brother Abel, who flees to another territory, but there he finds a wife and builds a city with those people. You see, that's only a problem if you're thinking of this story as trying to tell us about the beginning of all humanity. But if this story is telling us about Israel and is really Israel's story, then there isn't the struggles that we have. Here with the one language, when we were just told there are others, it's bringing a point that something else is being told through the book of Genesis than just the origin of mankind or the origin now of languages and all the different people groups. It was put together by the Israelites who had been captured by the Babylonians, as in the Tower of Babylonia. Right, This group of people that settled in Shinar, these group of people that were a thorn in Israel's side, this group of people who messed everything up, who sacked their temple, destroyed it, and took them to Babylon, this group of people that caused so much turmoil is now being the focal point. And seeing this is important to the story. The Babylonians and other cultures at that time would build what's called a ziggurat. And, and it's basically like a pyramid that had stairs going up on the sides and then there was an altar on the top. That was their form of worship. The confusion of language is actually a play on words in the Hebrew. For confused, the word is balal which the writer treats as a pun on the Hebrew word Babel, as in Babylon, which also happens to be where we get our word Babel to Babel from. 
The story goes on to give a historical account where languages came from. It is clever political satire as we move to the story of Abraham, those silly, stupid, arrogant Babylonians, right? They, they, they are going on, they're babbling on, they are confused. That's who they are, that's who now they were. Because remember, Israelites are looking backwards after the Babylonian captivity when they were conquered by the Syrians. The Babylonians believed that the gods were up there in heaven somewhere. And so building a stairway to heaven, so to speak, is their attempt to get in touch with the gods. But notice that in this story, even though they build this tower up, God has to come down to them. So no matter how high they built, God still had to lower himself to come to them. The tower's built to keep people from being scattered over the earth, yet that's exactly what happens to them. They are scattered. And so we have a point here that this powerful people, this people who settles in this area, ends up being just foolish. Chapter 10 and 11 give us two accounts and explanations for why people are spread out around the known world and speak different languages. The list of nations in chapter 10 shows the people spreading out throughout the world after the flood the way they were supposed to. They're supposed to go out and multiply. They were supposed to continue. And, and there's 70 nations in all, which is a number of completion or a number of perfection. Chapter 10 also takes a good swipe at one of Israel's later enemies, the Canaanites. Right? The, these people that cause trouble are placed in this category. The story of Babel in chapter 11, however, paints the fact of national language differences in a bad light, blaming the Babylonians for the whole confusing mess. All your power, all the things that you did only wrecked havoc and confusion. The story points a condemning finger at Babylon. You've been annoying and destructive pain in the back from the beginning. And, and it's the writer's way of showing the contrast from what God's plan was and what these people did. But there's something else that's going on here that I, I think is really interesting. It really kind of blows my mind. The contrast. Babylonians are trying and, and the other religions at this time are trying to reach God. And in Israel's worship, their structures, the tabernacle and later the temple, God is coming down to them. And I've talked about the evolution of understanding that I see taking place in, in the contrast of the different religions at that time, and especially with the Babylonians. Remember the Babylonian story of creation, the gods were fighting and in the mess they created the world that we now live in as opposed to God doing a creative act and us being created in God's image. In the other stories of the flood, the gods were annoyed with the humans because they were playing their music too loud. They were an annoyance to them. And in the Israel story, God is grieved with the wickedness that is taking place. And so we see this pushing forward. And this one, I think, is huge. 
we cannot reach God, but God much must reach us. And, and this is flipping the whole egocentric world on its head, right? That this idea of we have to do something, be good enough, be smart enough, do the right religious things, obligations to be able to reach God. And what strikes me is how I think we still do this sometimes. We, we still think of things like when something happens, what did I do wrong that this happened? Why, why are these circumstances like they are? What do I have to do to, to make things right, to, to get better, to get God's approval? What stairway do I have to build? What tower do I have to climb? What prayers do I have to pray? What Bible verses do I need to believe and recite to make things go the way I think God should make them want to be? We get frustrated. We think, I'm not good enough. Didn't build my tower high enough. I don't speak the same language and live in this confusion. And all of these disappointments are born from a type of arrogance, thinking that I should be able to know, to understand, and to speak the same language that God does. And that is putting myself in a place that I really don't inhabit. Or, or maybe better yet, it's putting God in a place that he doesn't have it. You see, you can't find God or prove that he exists because God doesn't exist as a being exists, right? Then God would just be one of the beings among all the other things. Paul writes it in this way in Colossians, all things were created by him. If all things were created by him, then he is not one of the things that is created. There is a separation, and so we have the things that exist, the things that we can look at, the things that we can prove, but God is not one of those things. We want to see God the way we see everything else. And the point is that God is that which everything is. Everything comes from. God is not a being that exists, but the ground of being, or the source of being, or being itself, from which all beings exist. There, there is an other than. That's the whole idea of the word holy. It, it is, he cannot be placed in these categories. Even using the word he is bringing the terminology down to a level of humanity that we understand. And... God is both utterly mysterious and utterly pervasive at the same time. God is that which we can't fully understand, but that which we can't escape. And so Paul would copy the pagan writers and say, and we live and move and have our being. It is the water that we are swimming in that is all around us but we are unaware of. It is the air that we breathe but don't understand. And this is troubling for a modern mindset because people want an expectation of God or 
even that of the scriptures. And that's where we have the problems with some of these stories, is we want to fit it into our expectations, and it answers all these questions that we have, but it's not meant to do that. That is bringing the story down to the understanding instead of us going to a place where the story is. It is us trying to reach the heavens where God is, and what has to happen is God has to reach us. Because this is something that our modern understanding can't quite grasp. There's a passage in Job that I think is beautiful. In Job chapter 34, verse 29, it says, But he, speaking of God, remains silent. Who can condemn him? If he hides his face, who can see him? Yet he is over individual and nation alike. If, if he hides his face, you can't see him. Of course you can't see him because he is too great to be able to even understand, let alone see. All we do is get revelations of who he is, glimpses that help us move forward. And I think that is what we're seeing here in the book of Genesis. It is this pushing forward in an understanding of God. But whatever that understanding is, it is going to be less than who God actually is. And we're seeing a major evolution in theological thought that will continue to evolve throughout the scripture. In the Torah, God is going to dwell in the tabernacle, in the, the temple, specifically in the Holy of Holies, where he interacts with mankind. But then in 1 Kings 8, when Solomon is dedicating the temple, he says, but will God really dwell on earth, the heavens? Even the highest heavens can't contain you. How much less this temple I have built. And so we see Solomon starts to bring this understanding of this is just a representation because you're bigger still. And then we get a further evolution with Jesus when he says, know you not that you are the temples of the Holy Spirit, right? You are the ones that where God dwells. And it just blows the, the doors completely open. And so there is a continuing understanding of where does God dwell? He dwells everywhere. You can't make a, a stairway and reach him. You can't just build a tabernacle in a holy place where he dwells because the heavens can't contain him. And yet he dwells in us, in humanity. And all this is written to bring about a story. Everything up to this point is being written to help us understand that God is choosing someone. He's taking us to another chosen one, Abram, later to be Abraham, who will be the father of the one nation, Israel. The world is a mess, but God is continuing to move from chaos to order. Not like the story of the flood by wiping the slate clean, but by working through a people set apart for him. As were Adam, as was Noah, now will be Abraham. The writer has taken 11 chapters to prepare his readers to enter the story of Israel. And things We'll go into a lot more detail into God's struggle between 
these people and himself as he is trying to pull them to their calling. All this to help them understand who they are as a people is helping us to get little glimpses, little bits of light into a darkened world that help us understand a little bit more of who God really is. And when we use this language, who God really is, there is an awareness that God is already more than we can understand. He is the air that we are breathing. He is the water we are swimming in. He is the life that gives all life. He is the ground of being. And trying to climb an understanding to reach him is going to fall short. And so when we look at this story and the Babylonians building this tower and, and this great nation and how it fell and how it was scattered and how it just brought confusion. Let's look at our own story and how that happens to us as well when we try to paint God into a corner of our understanding. When we try to see the world completely in a way that we can figure out without humility even as Job said, if, if he doesn't make himself seen, we will never see him. If he doesn't speak to us, we will never hear him. If, if he doesn't make himself known, there is no way we can reach him. We are utterly dependent. And that is an important revelation that is being told through these stories and will be told in these stories that I think we need to grasp hold of and hold on to. Because otherwise, we will just be like the Babylonians. We, we will build our own stairway to heaven. We will do our own things to make God understandable and, and figure things out. And it doesn't mean that he can't be known at all, but what we know is always going to be incomplete what we know is always going to be subject to his revealing, always going to be dependent on what he says, what he reveals, what he speaks. And it's important that we maintain that mentality as we move forward. So that, I think, is what these chapters are talking about. It is talking about the destiny of the nation Israel to Abraham becoming their father, it is putting down the Babylonians, giving another strike against them and what has happened to them and what they did to Israel. And it's showing the contrast of them. It's not trying to, to give us a story of where all the people come from and where all the languages come from. It is giving us the story of them doing what God has instructed them to do and the confusion caused by the Babylonians for trying to do things in their own strength. I would ask you guys for questions, but there's really <laughs> an opportunity to do that here. But I pray Lord, that you would help us to humble ourselves so that we can hear you. And I pray that we would be encouraged by the lack of understanding we have, but the overwhelming experience we have of your goodness, and that those would clash and we would live 
and humility and mystery and revel in your presence. And may the God who is beyond your ability to understand give you understanding of who he is through his love and through Christ. Okay, we're done. And the sun's in my eyes. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to fade into that. Anyway, God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us. And hope to see you at the building next Sunday. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.